Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Good morning, folks. Welcome to AOA on this Friday. I'm Mike Pearson filling in for Mike Adams. He'll be back, though, on Monday. While we take a look at everything that is happening in the agriculture industry to round down our week, one of the things I think everybody in farm country has noticed over the past several months is the rise in land sales and, of course, the rise in value of those sales. We've seen that take place in land. It's also happening in the used equipment marketplace, and I wanted to get some more details. To do that, our first guest today is Ann Whitaker from Whitaker Marketing Group in Central Iowa. Ann, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. You bet. Let's talk a little bit, Ann. We've seen big changes in the auction markets from 2020 to 2021. Can you give us an update? What have you seen happen on the ground for, let's start with equipment auctions. Okay. Yeah. With, uh, well, as everything, COVID pushed uh, our markets to more online, uh, training the buyers to bid online. So that was a huge thing for us. You know, we were skeptical that the markets would fall. Um, in all actuality, we uh, have seen them stay the same or just a little stronger for most of those pieces. Um, an interesting fact is that the prices haven't moved as much as the increase in the hours of the equipment that's being sold. Um, we see farmers are paying the same or more for equipment with higher number of hours on those machines. So that's a interesting fact there. Um, you know, with equipment auctions, people still like to come and t- kick the tires and pull the dipstick, but uh, with utilizing the online bidding platforms um, during a live stream simulcast event, uh, you, you get to see higher dollars for those sellers. Um, for the single pieces of equipment, we still do online only, um, but if it's a retirement sale or an estate sale on equipment, we tend to do those simulcast events. And when you're doing a simulcast event where you have the live bidding and also the online bidding, does that mm-hmm. result in pieces moving farther away? Do you see bidders tuning in from California or Canada, or do most folks still look local when they're buying equipment? No, absolutely. It uh, broadens the market for sure. So yeah, we we send tractors to Texas, you know, all the way to the East Coast. We had an older model tractor. Um, one of those old M's, you know, that you still only see them go for a thousand bucks or whatever. But uh, sometimes this one was ridiculous and it went to uh, Pennsylvania of all places. So, yeah, we definitely have hit a larger market when we put those online. Yeah. Now, I've been hearing from a lot of growers that sometimes parts are a challenge to get and new equipment can be tough to secure right now, given all the COVID supply chain issues. Has that resulted in additional uh, interest coming into uh, to auction business? Are folks looking to replace equipment, maybe going used for now until they can get the new stuff? Yeah, absolutely. That uh, with the inventory being lower and stuff, um, with the manufacturers and everything, yeah, demand has gone up for those used pieces for sure. Especially well, and I now, know. Uh, oops, sorry. <laughs> Especially now, no, you're okay. Combines and 
combines and the hundred horse tractors, um, the demand is strong. Gotcha. Now, of course, we're heading into harvest season, usually a bit of a low point for auctions, of course, as growers are out in the mm -hmm. field. How, how does your schedule look as you get through the fall and winter? Are you seeing some interest in folks consigning or perhaps retiring? Yeah, like you said, it's always a hurry up and wait game for us, you know, farmers uh, want to get those pieces sold, you know, prior to harvest. Um, especially the combines, the wagons, that kind of stuff that is used in the harvest season. Um, and then it's, and it's on hold for us until winter. Um, you know, we still have those one or two off pieces that uh, come in occasionally and stuff throughout the time. But uh, yeah, usually it's the hurry up and wait game. So. All right. Well, one thing that doesn't wait, of course, are land sales. Folks, when they get those listed, they're they're selling pretty hot. And what have you seen? I know you and David, your husband, work closely in the Iowa region, but you work with auctioneers from around the world or around the country, at least. What have you been yeah. seeing in the Corn Belt? How have land sales been going? Oh, it's crazy right now. You know, um, last month in Iowa, just over 15,000 acres were sold versus last year in August there was only 3,600 acres sold. So that is just astronomical. Um, historically, more acres sell in November. So it'll be an exciting uh, season coming up, busy season. Um, I'm excited to see what markets continue to do. It will certainly be something to watch. And one of the things we do see is that growers, or I guess I should ask, at the auctions that have been happening, who has been the buyers? Have they been farmers or are investors coming in to take a look at farm ground? Actually, both. Um, a few years ago, you know, I would say it's mostly farmers buying the land. Um, now with current markets, it's both. We've seen more people even that live in town that are wanting to invest in smaller parcels of farmland or recreational property for a place to get away. Um, the 1031 buyers that are out there are huge right now in the market. Um, people moving their money from the stock markets to buying farm ground um, for stability and growth. So, um, yeah, it's it's both now. Investors certainly like that diversification that can come if they're an in-town person with a retirement plan. They can put a little money into some farm ground and see the returns. And I wanted to ask you, we had a record setting in Grundy County, Iowa here a few weeks ago, and it had a wind turbine on it. Are you seeing added interest for parcels that have either wind turbines or solar panel systems, which are becoming more popular throughout the Corn Belt? Yeah, it all depends on the area and who's bidding on them um, or and what the rate of return is, quite frankly. Um, the land that's, you know, high quality ground with a good rate of return on that contract uh, we definitely see interest in those go up, you know, the more investor buyers are looking and the farmers themselves for that. Um, the turbine contracts that were signed up earlier with a lower annual payment, um, you don't see as much interest in those. Um, the, the price isn't there, you know, the rate of return isn't there. So um, it also depends on the potential buyers. Are they for greener energy or are they, you know, not we see both ends of the spectrum right. on that so that, that makes sense and i know we've had yeah. a lot of discussion over the past year about changing tax laws and rules and regulations as mm -hmm. you're talking to potential sellers is that a reason they're looking to list soon 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The unknown is scary. So um, they see the prices as they are now, which is extremely high. And and so that's uh, pushing more and more people to sell. All right. Well, it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on as we work throughout the winner and Whitaker from Whitaker Marketing Group. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. And we'll be back, folks, talking the current legal standing of the meat packer cases with reporter Mike, um, excuse me, with uh, Mike Leonard from Bloomberg when we return. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Been a while since we've been able to say this, but we actually saw the numbers improve slightly this month. The index has been relatively flat uh, the last three months. We were at 138 in August. That compares to 134 in July and 137 in June, so relatively flat. When you look at the two sub-indices, however, there was some improvement in the index of, of current condition, and I think that can be explained in, in a couple different ways. First of all, crop prices have held fair, fairly steady in terms of the prospects for this fall, but as we get closer to harvest, if, if it looks like there's going to be a fairly good harvest, people get a little bit more optimistic, and so we may see some, you know, depending on, on, uh, on, on the yield projections, we may see some improvement as we move into the fall uh, based on, based on the potential crop yields. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA, folks. I'm Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams today. There is a lot of news happening in agriculture. One of the stories that the cattle industry has been following for some time are the antitrust claims against the four largest meat packers in this country. We have seen both ranchers and cattle feeders get more active politically, trying to see if there's some way that those massive packers can be perhaps persuaded to pay a little bit more for cattle out in the countryside. Well, those hopes have been taken to the courts, and this is an ongoing battle, and I figured it was time for an update since we did have some movement on these court cases earlier this week. To help us walk us through all of the changes that are happening, Mike Leonard, a reporter with Bloomberg Law who has been following these cases, is here to join us this morning. Mike, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. You bet. There is always something going on. Earlier this week, Mike, you reported that a judge in Minneapolis is allowing JBS, Tyson Foods, Cargill, and National Beef to face antitrust litigation over their, you know, basically industry-wide scheme to widen the margin for meat. Can you give us a few more details on what exactly happened in that court in Minneapolis on Tuesday? Sure, I can give you a few details, um, but the ruling was under seal. Um, basically, this federal judge in Minneapolis um, said the case is going to move forward uh, toward evidence taking, which is called discovery. Um, he basically found that the, um, as a preliminary matter, without any, any proof yet, but the allegations of the case, uh, as detailed in the lawsuit, do show antitrust violations. So now the question is, are the allegations true? Um, because the ruling was under seal, uh, we don't have the judge's reasoning, and the antitrust claims can be pretty technical, um, so we're, we're still eagerly awaiting that. That the uh, opinion will probably be unsealed um, in a few weeks, um, but the case is moving forward, and the, the same judge previously uh, put the brakes on the case, so um, I guess uh, in, in, the, in the interim, he saw, he saw something he liked. All right. So this case will move forward. As you mentioned, we'll have a few more details in the coming weeks. Mike, but this isn't the first case alleging antitrust violations to move against either meatpackers or just participants in the protein industry. This has really been happening for some time. Can you tell us a little bit more about the lay of the land, uh, the current legal standings and the current cases that perhaps are proceeding? Sure, I will give it a shot. Um, as you just mentioned, it's it's a bit of a cottage industry at this point. Um, there are uh, big price fixing cases involving um, several major types of livestock. So there are a few different ones involving chicken, and one of those um, is a really big case that has led to some uh, two, almost two hundred million dollar settlements uh, with Tyson Foods and with uh, Pilgrim's Pride has, has pleaded guilty to. Anti to criminal antitrust violations and will pay more than $100 million in fines. Um, the, the major poultry processors also face wage-fixing claims, claims that they 
um, illegally exchange wage data to keep down the, the both what they pay plant workers and what they pay uh, growers, the farmers, um, the farmers who raise uh, poultry for them. There are very similar cases involving turkey, um, involving pork. The pork case is before the same judge and has a lot of similarities to the beef case. And then there are other cases that are a little bit different involving tuna, salmon, and eggs, and they're all in different in different postures. Um, but uh, the there are multiple class actions involving each of these proteins, and in some cases, uh, the government's involved. The antitrust regulators are involved too. Well, and that's one of the things that's so, I guess, fascinating to watch these cases proceed. There are so many different claims being brought by so many different market participants. You mentioned, at least in the chicken case, the class action. I, I just got a post on Facebook saying I can claim uh, some some settlement money because I've purchased chicken in the past 10 years. That one comes from consumers. But then there are also cases being brought by growers, which is probably more closely <clears throat> related to what's happening in the beef industry. Um, well, they're both they're both pretty closely related. The the the, the cattle case um, involves allegations that the meat packers have have conspired uh, among themselves uh, by trading sensitive uh, pricing data to widen the so-called meat margin. So it actually involves allegations that they're both propping up the price of processed beef for consumers and other buyers like major wholesalers, uh, while at the same time trying to um, uh, hold down the cost to themselves of live cattle that they purchase from, from ranchers. Um, so uh, each of these, uh, the chicken, each chicken case sort of resembles part of the beef case. Interesting. Okay. Things to keep an eye on there. Now, Mike, I, I want to ask you as the Biden administration moved into power, it seemed as though a lot of these claims that, uh, that Packer consolidation was a bad thing was, was finding some ears in this new administration. Have any of the rules or laws about consolidation changed the facts of these cases as they move forward since uh, President Biden has uh, really kind of opened the floor up to more anti-competitive uh, cases? Well, um, the, the laws and rules themselves um, haven't changed. That's a sort of cumbersome process. There there are some um, potential antitrust changes afoot, I think, um, Anybody who's not living under a rock has heard about every, um, all the antitrust concerns about big tech, and Senator uh, Klobuchar has introduced um, an antitrust overhaul. But, but in fact, a lot of these um, government investigations began um, last year or, or even earlier, um, actually before Biden took office. So um, there's there, politics can be involved in everything, but there's also some some continuity of antitrust enforcement copy that. It sounds as though, yeah, this thing is continuing from under the Trump administration. And Mike, if I'm hearing you correctly, it it exists almost independent of politics. These court cases are going to move forward, uh, at least this particular one that the judge has ruled that it can, regardless of what happens in the near term with laws and policies and recommendations coming out of Washington, D.C. Is that right? It, yes. I mean, it, it, these cases um, could... You never know how how um, new developments on the legislative front could affect ongoing litigation, but these cases are not dependent on on Congress or the president doing anything. There, there, um, many of the cases are are brought by, as you mentioned, um, private private buyers of of uh, uh, bulk buyers of beef or chicken or pork, um, and others are brought by parts of the government um, that. Uh, that sort of move at the speed of an oil tanker. Um, so, so they, 
they're they're going to be ongoing no matter what happens in Congress. All right. Now, you did say something interesting earlier, Mike. You mentioned that this beef packing case and one of the pork cases was being looked at by the same judge. Is that common or is there a reason that these cases are filing past this particular judge? Well, they, I guess the reason they're they're heading to this particular judge has to do with the location, the locations of the meat packers. Um, so it, it's it's not rare, um, but it's it's not a foregone conclusion um, that the same judge would hear the same cases. Uh, he happens to be in this case, and in in fact, there there are a lot of potential similarities between his ruling earlier this week in the beef case and a couple of rulings he issued. In, in the pork case, in both the pork and the beef cases, he initially dismissed them. Uh, he initially ruled in favor of the meat packers, but he gave the plaintiffs uh, the chance to refile. And in, in both cases, what he said was, you've raised a lot of, you've included a lot of allegations about um, suspicious communications, a lot of indirect evidence that could point to a conspiracy, but you're actually short on specific details about how the prices moved. And it doesn't matter what they talked about if you can't show that the prices actually moved. Um, when the, when they came back and refiled the pork case, the judge said, okay, now this case can move forward because you included those details. I, I suspect, and, uh, don't quote me on this, but something similar may be happening in the beef case. Um, we'll find out when, when that opinion is unsealed. And the, the will find out when that's always the wild card court cases never seem to move at the speed at which the watchers would wish they would move. Mike, this beef case, we're, uh, we're coming up on year two now. Do you have any indication as to when this thing might be resolved or could you give us some guidelines as to how long these things typically take? It could be a long haul, um, but the, the chicken cases have been going on in some form or another for about five years, but uh, there's hope. They're, they're, they're nowhere near uh, a trial on those chicken cases, but the, but, um, the more court ruling, preliminary court rulings there are, the more evidence is taken, the more depositions are taken, the more expensive the case gets, uh, companies start to settle. And probably, you know, you never know what, what, when there's going to be a big antitrust trial, but most of these cases end in settlement. And what, what, what the sides are waiting for is just um, they wait for more court rulings, which affect the leverage, and then and then they settle. All right, things to keep an eye on there. Big thanks to Mike Leonard from Bloomberg Law, Bloomberg Law's Legal Intelligence Desk. Mike, really appreciate you sharing your insights on what all is happening here on the legal side of these challenges. No problem. Thanks again. We'll be back with more AOA after this. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. 
radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. Movement of grain out of the Gulf continues to be restricted and corn export sales out Thursday were also smaller than expected. Bean and wheat export sales were near the high end of trade expectations. On the Board of Trade this morning, we're seeing lower futures. December corn trading seven and a fraction of a cent lower at 5.22 and a half cent. The March contract down six cents at 5.30 and three quarters. For soybeans, the November contract down 15 and a half cent at 12.80 and three quarters. The January contract down 15 and a fraction at 12.89 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat March down five and a half cent at 7.18 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat December down seven and a fraction at 7.13 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat December down two and three quarters at 9.03 and three quarters. The March contract down a penny and a fraction at 8.92 and three quarters. Four livestock hogs were the star of the livestock complex Thursday with front month October leading the charge. Live cattle struggled due to lower beef prices while feeder cattle were mixed. Choice cuts declined $1.82 with select cuts down $3.62. Weekly export sales were good at 15,300 metric tons, but that did not carry enough weight to turn futures higher. Looking at those live cattle futures on the Board of Trade, the October contract down 30 cents at 123.30, the December contract down 50 at 128.07. For feeder cattle, October 12 cents lower at 156.95, November down 57 at 156.72. In lean hogs, the October contract trading 80 cents lower at 84.67, December $1.35 lower at 73.10. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 135 points, the NASDAQ composite down 95, the S&P 500 down 26. Crude oil in New York, the October contract, $1.07 lower at 71.30 per barrel. The U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. 54. So basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Good morning, folks. Welcome back to AOA. I'm Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams today, and we sure appreciate you making us a part of your day. It's time to take a look at the markets. Joining me for this segment is Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, we've got a lot of red on the screen today. Give us the snapshot 
What's going on? Well, you know, I think there's some anticipation of this weekend being the first big harvest weekend. I mean, every day, uh, it seems like every phone call I get uh, is is someone, uh, you know, heading to the field or, or, or trying to see how things are, are going. Um, it hasn't been a necessarily heavy volume uh, session at all. Uh, coming in this morning, I think we only had about 10,000 contracts of, of, of these corn trading and about 11,000 contracts of beans. That's, you know, that's half of what we normally have uh, on, a, on any given morning when we come in here at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so volume hasn't necessarily been great. So I think that, you know, uh, I don't think you have a whole lot of participation. Uh, I think that uh, if it, with the algos, you can kind of push things around if you want to. Um, but uh, I think the, do, I, the, the one thing that is noticeable, you know, whether we or not we set a, a bottom in this market, you know, in that 510 area, yesterday it, it seemed like this upside momentum slowed. Um, you know, beans took a crack at $13 again. Um, you know, I always say, you know, beans are a game of dollars. You know, you know harvest coming, do we need a move above 13 um, or do we do we set back and see some lower numbers? Uh, you know, once the farm becomes a more natural seller and gets in the field, uh, remains to be seen. But corn, um, you know, I, I kind of expected this return back to this five and a quarter area. We we stalled at five thirty eight. We're thirteen cents off of those highs. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we consolidate around this five twenty five area here for for a, a time being. Well, and Garrett, you mentioned harvest is getting underway. You're, of course, in northwest Illinois. Have you seen any of your neighbors getting into the field quite yet, or have you heard from customers? How are yields looking so far? Uh, early yields, uh, beans are actually, I heard, uh, running in the 60s, uh, which are, that's decent um, you know, average, I would say. Uh, moisture is is, uh, is actually surprisingly fairly dry on those beans, but uh, so I don't think that um, I do think that the uh, harvest will pick up pretty quickly as as, as people get after uh, after beans if they're that dry. Um, but uh, you know it's been hit and miss, and it really largely depends on whether or not you know the way the rains came this summer. Um, you know you could have rain at your place, but two miles down the road somebody completely missed it. You know, and uh, uh, I think from what I've seen so far on the yields. Uh, you know, you can have a one-mile difference whether you're on the north side of town or the south side of town, um, whether you got rain this summer and see a five to ten bushel difference on yield. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those deals. Um, you know, I was talking to an elevator customer in, in northwest Indiana this morning. He said his beans are uh, off five to ten bushels from last year, you know, on the, on the early beans. So, um, you know, it, it, I don't think there's anything that really – um, you know, suggest that we're beating the pants off of record yields out here. Um, you know, it, it, it turns out that we, you know, we need some rains in August to to make a bean crop, and and this dryness is is kind of uh, hurt things. But at the at the same time, while people are talking up this this supply potential supply issue and our demand, uh, you know, we've this the situation with the Gulf and China buying South American beans. Um, you know, that's that's definitely concerning if we're if we're narrowing up this export window. Well, let's talk about those Chinese purchases of South American beans. They were pushed to Brazil to make some purchases after Hurricane Ida really kind of effectively shut down grain exports out of the Gulf. But Garrett, they, they haven't been getting fire sale prices down there in Brazil, have they? They've had to had to pay up. Oh, absolutely. I mean they're paying a two dollar premium for beans out of Brazil. Um, and that's that's kind of a function of, you know, they've had the, the they've had the poor pork prices over there. 
Um, they've had poor crush margins all year. They, there was really no incentive for them to go out and extend coverage. They just decided that they were going to buy beans hand to mouth. And uh, that works until it doesn't, um, especially this year with COVID and everything. If you've tried to buy any raw materials or anything like that, uh, you know, just-in-time inventory um, with, with freight and, 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 and the ability to, to obtain things um, has not been easy. Well, the hurricane came in and, and was the last thing that China needed. And, and um, you know, now they've, they've been forced to go to South America and they're, they're having to pay for it. Now, the interesting thing is, is, is it looks like, I saw rumors that, you know, they paid 420 450 I mean, they continue to, all these world bean fob prices continue to increase because they're kind of paying whatever they have to to get their coverage on for, for at least October. Um, but, you know, with the Brazil bean planting getting off to the start, uh, I saw some April, May, uh, Brazil, Paranagua numbers at, you know, 22, 30 over, uh, those are extremely cheap values for new crops. So, um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a concern as well about if, if we're actually going to you know, talk about this, this narrow bean export window. Well, Garrett, I'd like to talk about Brazil a little bit more. Of course, uh, listeners no doubt remember us discussing the challenges that the second crop Brazilian corn was facing, kind of the worst drought in 90 to 100 years down there. Bring us up to speed. Now they've had enough moisture to get some beans in the ground. How are plantings progressing down in South America? Uh, they, they extended the planting window. Um, everything's so far so good. I mean, if you remember last year, the biggest issue that they had with the drought and with the corn crop is that uh, they had delayed soybean planting. So when they had delayed soybean plantings, they had delayed soybean harvest, which delayed the safrina corn planting. And, um, you know, that was, a, that was an issue or a situation that was specific to last year. This year, you know, they've had a little bit better moisture. Planting is getting off to a better pace. And they are, um, you know, they're getting off to a normal start. So that actually um, makes people a little bit more comfortable uh, about, you know, their timing of harvest in that February, March time frame of next spring, um, as well as the, the ability to uh, get into that, that uh, safrina corn uh, planting on a timely manner. All right. Well, we'll be hearing a lot more about domestic harvests as those combines start rolling here in the short term. But Garrett, I want to take a look over at the meat complex. Looking at cattle, ordinarily we see a down day in the grains. We see an up day in feeder cattle, right, as folks are watching that crush. But that's not the case today. What's happening with feeder cattle right now? Uh, we're down uh, anywhere from 97 to 118. We're down, let's call it, call it, call it down one, essentially across the strip. Um, everything's weaker. I mean, I, it kind of to me feels like there's a little bit of a macro. Um, you know, you've got the dollar firmer. You've got crude down. Um, you know, we've got everything down across the board. Uh, but again, it's still not huge volume. I mean, after the big day in hogs yesterday, we were down 60 to 80 cents today. So that kind of feels like a backfill type day. But, but no, we. We really, you know, we can't get much direction in here. Uh, the fat cattle, another down day. We went up and tested that magic 130 level that I thought was going to be important. And here we are back to the 200-day moving average at 127, um, you know, that we, we bounced off last week, you know. So um, it, it seems like, uh, you know, that we had that, what was the 14th? That was uh, 
days all run together is Tuesday. You know, Tuesday's big rally, but that was just an anomaly in the overall downtrend. And, and um, I'm a little bit concerned what, you know, I, I think we're close enough that we kind of try to test that 200-day moving average at 127 again and kind of see what's underneath of it one more time, unfortunately. Well, if how far down can we go if that 200-day moving average doesn't hold, Garrett? Well, that's a pretty good question. I mean, I think that if if um, you know, I think that if you uh, you know extrapolate that a little bit further, I mean, you look at uh, potential move back down to that 124 level uh, before we find support again. Um, I got to think that we we. We, you know, we've had so much liquidation here. I mean, I'd be really surprised. You know, actually, one twenty-four fifty, somewhere like that. So, I mean, you could have another one to two dollar downside if we break, if we break this, uh, if we break this two hundred day moving average. Well, let's take a look over at the pork market, Garrett. You mentioned that Chinese pork prices have absolutely collapsed over the past several months, and they were sort of the uh, the high bid in this market for a long time, driving exports. Do you anticipate American lean hogs, our contracts, just drifting lower as we work through this winter? Um, you know, we've, we, I think we're going to trade more sideways. I mean, I think everyone's kind of watching uh, this Caribbean um, swine fever uh, situation. And, um, you know, I think flat price has kind of told us you know, that some of this might be priced in the market. And we've had a, a near, you know, $8 drop in the last week and a half. Um, I think the $72 area or $0.72 cent area is the, is the uh, area that has found some value here. Um, and we've had buyers on weakness in, in hogs the last three days. So um, I've been pretty uh, impressed with the price action here that we've been able to maintain. Even today, you know, with the general overall macro weakness that we have in seemingly all these markets, you know, hogs do seem to have a, you know, while weaker, I mean, we have a bid under that 73.50 area again. So um, I think that if things get to be, I think the hogs do have some value in here under the 72 area. Uh, crude oil moving lower today, Garrett. Is that a move that could be long lasting? Uh, I don't actually believe that's going to be too long lasting. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we're probably. We're probably stuck in the 75 to the 70 trading range near term. Um, everything that we've seen from, uh, you know, well, we had, you know, if you, you look at the weekly EIA numbers uh, this week, we had like a 9% drop in gasoline demand, but I think that's largely because of, uh, you know, hurricane and, and other impacts uh, coming off of that. So. Gotcha. Shutting people in. Well, Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. And folks, when we come back, we'll have more AOA. We'll talk about building markets for American soybeans around the world. Stay with us. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. 
Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture, the policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash fieldposts. 
Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to AOA. I'm Mike Pearson filling in for Mike Adams, and we've got a little more news to talk about. Of course, recently, China has been a massive buyer of U.S. soybeans, but there's a lot more folks around the world than just those folks in China. So I've invited Carrie Cleghorn. Carrie is the Senior Director of Market Development at the U.S. Soybean Export Council to bring us up to speed on what else is going on out there. Carrie, thanks for talking to us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Good to talk to you. You know, let's talk about the big dog in the room first, which of course is China. They can be big yeah. buyers when they step in, but they can be fickle. Carrie, what's your read on the Chinese soybean demand situation here looking forward? Well, certainly we uh, we saw quite a big demand last year. We um, had record pace and in last year's marketing year that we just closed. Uh, China was obviously the big buyer, the big dog that you mentioned, um, and we've seen some early sales going into China again for the, the new crop coming out of the field, um, so we expected them to be in the market again um, this year, uh, but never uh, we, we don't want to forget our customers that have really been growing in the last few years as well. So we expect China to still be big growers. We see their, we hear uh, good news about their swine herd rebuilding, et cetera. But, um, but we do have a lot of other customers around the world, as you mentioned in your intro, that are very interested in importing U.S. soy as well. Well, let's talk a little bit about those other customers. Other than China, Carrie, who are the big drivers of U.S. soybean demand on the export scene? So um, we, we, ha we do have to remember that China um, imports a large percentage of the total world U.S. soy production. So again, they are the big one. However, there are also uh, many countries that have really been coming on. You know, when the China trade war started, uh, the U.S. Soybean Export Council really focused on mitigating that. We had, we had soybeans and soy meal that needed to go somewhere. We, have eight, uh, we work in 82 countries. We have 150 staff around the world. So we just started focusing and putting new resources into markets. So when you think about uh, countries that have really grown, countries like Egypt come to mind. Egypt only um, uh, has been, been now uh, importing up to like 1.5 million metric tons of beans. Their crush capacity has uh, expanded pretty dramatically. Um, they've been a real shining star. Countries like Bangladesh, Pakistan. Um, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Vietnam together have increased 
um, from 60,000 60, metric tons to over 3 million metric tons combined. So that's big growth. And we've done some very creative programming there. Um, we've been working with uh, crushers and people in the supply chain. So we've had growth in some really unique places. And that's just a few, for example. Well, well, let's talk about the creativity that it's taken to get these countries on board with U.S. soy. Claire, uh, Carrie, what do you see happening on the ground that is working as far as getting the the word of U.S. soy's quality out there? Well, um, we have to be honest. Uh, during the trade war, the price was, you know, the price was right, right? U.S. Mm. soy, as we said, for a few years, U.S. soy was on sale. Um, and it was a great opportunity to attract new buyers into the market and to, to develop programs. You know, the U.S. Soybean Export Council has gone into markets um, before, you know, as they were beginning to develop with technical assistance uh, and, and uh, doing demonstrations, et cetera, to help build the preference and differentiate U.S. soy from other origins. So, for example... Um, we would have gone, we would have been working with a country, a sector to help develop their crush sector potentially, or working with their aquaculture sector, um, helping do a, a demonstration on an in-pond raceway system where you use soy-optimized feed, um, doing training sessions with the poultry industry, for example, on um, on uh, avian influenza and biosecurity um, so, so, you know, we, we just we bring technical experts to the industry to help build these programs. Looking out long term, Carrie, you mentioned aquaculture and poultry. Whenever I hear professionals talk about Southeast Asia as a whole, the Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, etc., yeah. those are two industries that seem poised to grow. Is U.S. soy well positioned to be a part of that growth? Yes, absolutely. We have quite a staff working on aquaculture in Southeast Asia. Um, we, and and uh, they have been doing demonstrations uh, on this IPRS system. So it's an in-pond raceway system that, that helps uh, increase production. Uh, it, it is environmentally friendly, uses less water. And, and when I say increase production, it can increase production like by three times. So, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's an easier way to manage. Uh, there's less loss. So we've been building demonstrations in some countries. We bring farmers um, from other countries, especially in Southeast Asia, uh, to see these demonstrations. And uh, for example, we began uh, doing some of those demonstrations in China many years ago. And we started with one demonstration and then the provincial government uh, began supporting it, and there's now over 6,000 IPRS sites in China. And so we're seeing that kind of kind of growth, not those kinds of numbers, but that kind of growth certainly in other parts of the region, Southeast Asia especially. But now we're seeing big interest in uh, Bangladesh, in Pakistan, and in South America, um, we, uh, we're, we're seeing a big interest in Colombia and Mexico. All right. It looks like we've got some exciting things to keep an eye out on the future for American Soy. Carrie Cleghorn, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks, Mike. 
And folks, thanks so much for tuning in to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Mike Pearson filling in for Mike Adams, but he will be back on Monday. We certainly appreciate being a part of your day. Have a great weekend, everybody. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.